The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, everybody. We're coming up on the end of the year. And so I want to do some reflecting as a community. Let's share some gratitude. What have you been grateful for in your job search or career this year? Email me at gethired at linkedin.com to share a few sentences or a voice memo. You might just hear it on the show. One of the best parts of my job is getting to talk to people who've had interesting career paths, and especially those who have left the door open behind them to make sure the next person also has a path to success. That's today's episode. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn's managing editor for jobs and career development. Each week on Get Hired, we talk about leveling up. Sometimes we talk about finding work. Other times we talk about excelling where you are right now. And through it all, we focus on how to stay true to yourself in the process. When you think of investment banking, you probably have a particular type of person and set of interest in mind. My guest today, Asahi Pompey, blows up every single one of your assumptions. She's a partner at Goldman Sachs, where she's also the head of global engagement and the president of the Goldman Sachs Foundation. She also grew up in housing projects in Brooklyn after her family emigrated to the States from South America. She's been a pioneer for programs at the firm to support entrepreneurs of all sorts, especially black women. So today, Asahi is taking us behind the curtain of her career and sharing advice for finding a place for yourself and seizing on the opportunities you've been given. First, here's Asahi with the cliff notes of her career journey. Where I came from, no one would have predicted I would become the most senior Black person at Goldman Sachs or part of Goldman Sachs' management committee, or frankly, have the job that I do or even work at Goldman Sachs. Um, So in terms of my role, simply put, my role is to ensure that we're leveraging Goldman Sachs' capital, people, thought leadership to make a positive impact in communities around the world, predominantly the communities in which Goldman Sachs um, operates. In terms of a little bit about my background, um, I'm an immigrant and my family came to this country when I was 10 from Guyana. We moved to Brooklyn into the Vandeveer housing projects. And really, I was from a family that really focused on education. And the thought was, look, we don't come from much, but our chance to um, be able to um, really move up and support ourselves, which was, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, that was like (laughs) where people were thinking, um, was really to do well in school. And God bless, I loved school, did well in school and had phenomenal teachers. And really, that's what kind of led me on my path to Swarthmore College, to Columbia Law School. I'm a recovering lawyer. To then get my job um, at Goldman Sachs, now this is my 17th year at the firm. That's incredible. I did start as a child. It's okay. You can say that. <laughs> a child prodigy at 10 at Goldman Sachs. There you go. I love you. <laughs> and you mentioned, and we're, we'll get into this more later, but you mentioned the communities that Goldman Sachs operates and is in. I think a lot of people, they hear Goldman Sachs and they think, oh, big bank, Wall Street, finance. So, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how Goldman Sachs sort of ladders down into a lot of communities? 
Yeah, we do that in a number of ways. So one is we do it through our work with entrepreneurs. And so to take a lens back, you think, okay, Goldman Sachs is a bank. How how are we uniquely positioned to be helpful in communities? And as we looked at that, we thought, well, using capital markets for good. And how can we use capital markets for good? So a lot of our efforts are around entrepreneurship in particular, because as you think about what creates intergenerational wealth, what is the sort of a foundation of communities, we've narrowed in on small businesses in particular, and we've really continued and built that focus. And so that's one of the key ways in which we're laddering into communities. And getting back to you, though, I want to ask, seeing where you are now and knowing a little bit about your background, it doesn't seem like an accident that you've really plotted an incredible career. But for you, looking back, how did you get here? Was it deliberate to say, like, okay, this is how I'm taking my steps to get to Goldman Sachs? Or, you know, how did you figure out, okay, this is where I'm going? Or did you sort of figure that out as you went along? You know, I think the real edge, as I look back and reflect on it, is staying hungry and being willing to put in the hard work. Um, And I'd add on to that sort of a marriage of being able to manage your own emotions and manage your own ego. What do I mean by that? The job offer I got at Goldman Sachs in 2006 was a job where half a person reported to me in Bangalore. I was coming from a place where I had over 60 lawyers reporting to me. And I remember people at the time saying, eh, do you want to take that job, Asahi? Like, you're like, you know, on on top of what you're doing. Like, you're going to Goldman. Like, what are you doing exactly there? You don't even have a team. You're not a manager. But I knew I wanted to be at Goldman. And so if I had to take a role that was, quote, lower than where I was previously, I had every confidence that I could bet on me. And I was going to be able able to either flame out, you know, entirely in the first year, and then I would have learned a lot from the experience, or I was going to be able to play at that level and I could get back a team. I'd become a manager again. And so I think very often as I think about people in careers, sometimes it's that management of your ego as you're coming in or whatever it is, or if someone gets promoted ahead of you, like having those, those sort of presence of mind to say, do I like what I do? Do I feel like I can still have an impact? Do I like this place where I work? And you stay with it. And who knows, six months, nine months, you know, the deck chairs have changed and your (laughs) opportunity comes, right? And so that's really, if I had listened to some of the people who thought, look, this role at Golden was too small, I wouldn't have come here. Um, But I knew this is where I wanted to work and this is where I thought I could make an impact. I'm a big sort of burn the boat person. And what I mean by that is once I'm at an employer, this is my home. This is where I'm building my career. I'm going to learn about that business. I'm going to invest in the place. I'm going to invest in the people, in mentoring people, being mentored by people, learning the business, being part of the culture. I'm going to be all in. And so, and that's what I mean by burn the boat. You go to the island, you burn the boat, and you're like, this is my home. There's no going back. There's no going back, right? (laughs) Now, you could like, you know, chop down some trees and build another boat if you really needed to get off the island. But the thought is people can tell whether you're in or you're one foot out. 
I don't know what it is, but you send off those radars and signals that say, are you all in or are you halfway out? And so I'm a big burn the boat person. So at that point, once I started looking, I knew like I was going to leave and I was going to, you know, build a new home. And hence, 17 years later, here I am. (laughs) You really burned the boat. (laughs) (laughs) And this goes to sort of probably the largest topic we'll mention today, and it's about bringing people with you. And you've made that a theme, it seems, throughout your career to say, not only am I going through the store, but I'm leaving it open to bring other people through it. Was that a conscious choice you made, or was it something that you realized you were doing and you're like, hey, this is great, and I'm going to keep doing it? You know, I think it's a personal ethos. It's a value of mine. Um, I really do believe if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others. And I like going with others. I feel like I'm a better person. I'm a better player. I'm a more valuable employee. And frankly, I enjoy the experience more. And so I feel like those moments where I've really sort of expanded and grown the most in my career, it's really been about the investment and working with other people people that's really enabled that. And as I reflect on, you know, where I've seen people's careers go over time, the people who are sort of solo players don't go as far as the people who are really um, working with other people in teams and able to do that well. Um, It's a real differentiator. Um, And frankly, I think the experience is more enjoyable along the way. Definitely. Yeah. And your work, you directly get to impact people's lives. And the first thing I wanted to touch on is the investment that Goldman Sachs has made with the One Million Black Women initiative. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about that and how it came about, really? Yes. Simply speaking, it's the largest commitment ever in the history of this country specifically focused on Black women. So, $10 billion over the course of the next 10 years to positively impact the lives of at least a million Black women. That's investment, balance sheet, debt, and equity investments that Goldman Sachs is making. And on top of that, if that weren't enough, $100 million in philanthropic capital to be deployed to nonprofits working with Black women and girls. And we're doing it across, you know, six or so pillars, ones that you would likely expect, education, access to capital, closing the digital divide that we all know in the wake of the pandemic has become um, even more evident. Healthcare is another one. Um, Entrepreneurship, you know. So those are some of the areas that we're focused on looking for investments and looking for nonprofits that we can make donations to. And that's a 10-year initiative. Yeah. And I assume that really the goal here, too, is also if you If you affect that many people's lives, especially when they're women, mothers, sisters, daughters, it spreads much more than just beyond those one million people, which is no easy feat, even just one million people. But the the arms are quite long with that, right? Bingo. You have just nailed it. Now, the way I usually describe it, I usually say the blast radius of impacting that (laughs) one woman is just sort of ricochets out to girls in the community. You know, if she owns a business, people employed in that business, Um, these entrepreneurs, they tend to be active in their community. And so there's a triple bottom line in terms of making that investment. No, that's, that's really fascinating. And for people listening, you know, How does this play out in a community or for a woman who is touched by this program? Oh, my gosh. So this is the part that I love because it's the specifics around how 
the initiative is making an impact. So let me talk about um, uh, one particular initiative that's part of OMBW, One Million Black Women, which is BIB Black in Business. So we found a number of things. One is that um, 97% of Black small businesses are solopreneurships. Right. And so it's just a single person trying to run this business. The other thing we saw is that three years out, less than three percent of those businesses are still around. So we thought, OK, if we've got all of these businesses, there's solopreneurs, but they've got such a high fail rate. Is this an opportunity for Goldman Sachs to step in and work with these black women businesses to grow them um, and to really, you know, stop the fail rate of these businesses? And so we've had, whether it's women that are running salons, some of them are bakers, some of them are running social media businesses, others of them are running daycare centers out of their home, like all the, the spectrum of businesses. And we're providing education to these businesses to say, okay, we understand where you are and let's work on a growth plan as to how to grow your business. And so that's a really tangible example. So far, we've had over 150 women participate in Black in Business. Um, and we're going to be tracking it and looking at where those solopreneurs are after you know six months, after a year, after two years. And I think that that's such a good idea because I know so many people who go into an entrepreneurial field where they say, okay, I'm going to start my business. And they have the skills to do the job, but then they also need business skills alongside of that. And that's oftentimes, you know, the part where people aren't prepared. So I think that's such a, such a great example. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, how small businesses can help each other. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. We're back with Asahi Pompey, who is a partner at Goldman Sachs and the president of the Goldman Sachs Foundation. The other program that you already mentioned is 10,000 Small Businesses. And can you tell us a little bit about that program? Sure. So 10KSB, or 10,000 Small Businesses, is devoted to providing three things to entrepreneurs across the United States. Um, Best-in-class education is one. Access to capital is two, and network um, is the third thing. And fourthly, advocacy, helping small businesses to advocate with policymakers, because so much of the policies, you know, from Congress or from the U.S. government impacts small businesses disproportionately and giving them that voice with policymakers. It's an offshoot called 10,000 Small Businesses uh, Voices. But effectively, we've had over 12,500 small business owners graduate from our program. 
Andrew, people often ask me, wow, like you've exceeded your goal of 10,000. Are you going to change the name of the initiative? Whereupon I say no, but we're going to get to 20,000 small businesses. Mm-hmm. And with that, too, it's it's a lot about, it seems, helping them thrive and sort of survive, right, in, in places where they may not feel like they have a ton of community among their needs, right? So that you have maybe a, a chamber of commerce for larger established businesses, but a small business may say, you know, I don't really feel included in a lot of things, right? Exactly right. I mean, so many business owners tell me, they say, look, Asahi, it's so lonely being a small business owner, especially over the course of the pandemic, to have this community of people to say, I don't know if we're going to hit our numbers. You're not telling your employees that necessarily. Or I'm really concerned about this, you know, supply chain issue that we're having. Or I'm really having a tough time getting this government contract. And this could really revolutionize our business. Or look, payroll issues I'm having because I've had to increase wages so much. How much of this can I pass on to my customers? You know, um, and so all of that, you get then this community of business owners that you can then have those dialogues with. So people, our graduates in the restaurant industry chat with each other and those in healthcare chat with each other. They chat across and 86% of them do business with each other, which is one of my favorite stats. And frankly, one of the things we could not have anticipated when we launched this platform, that it would become its own exchange of business owners referring and doing business with each other. Now, that's really fantastic. And especially just because it's sort of the cycle of support. (laughs) Yes, the cycle of support. And going back to the idea of sort of giving back part of your career, um, you know, we obviously have a lot of people who are probably early in their careers, later in their careers, but, you know, maybe they don't think consciously about how do I help other people in my job? And how would you suggest people go about that? If you were sort of saying, I want to do this more intentionally, how do you suggest people do that? I would say two things. One is, Very often people come to me and they're interested in like, you know, five or six different areas. I would say to have an impact over time, pick one. Pick one that's driving you, whether it's I want to do more on climate change or I want to do more on, you know, bail reform. I want to do more on entrepreneurship or access to capital. Whatever it is, the issue is that drives you. And I talk to lots of junior people. Um, I think pick one and then figure out how you're going to be involved. Maybe it's joining the board of a nonprofit. Maybe it's volunteering around, you know, voter registrations or whatever it is that your particular area is. But I think the consistency and the continuity over time, because frankly, you become better at it, right, than flittering from here and there. And frankly, you become more impactful. And you can sort of take your lens back and say, okay, the power of one, this is my singular focus. I'm going to do this for the next year to 18 months and really see how my work can make an impact. We have a terrific initiative at the firm called Community Teamworks, but it's effectively our volunteer channel, which is also under my leadership, to figure out you know, how Goldman Sachs can use its people power, as I like to call it, <laughs> where I people then invest in communities around the world by devoting their time. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And I know you still obviously have a long career ahead of you, but so far you've obviously navigated such a successful career. And We are maybe entering a time of uncertainty, and I think a lot of people tend to get nervous about that, and they sort of entrench themselves in in what they're doing. What is your suggestion for people who sort of look into the future and say, hmm, things are a little shaky and unknown? What would your advice be for someone who's, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do next or what they should do next? Um, I would ask them a question. So, and I'd ask them to ask themselves a question. Namely, during this period of uncertainty, Do you want to be the person 
that is, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm so concerned about X, Y, or Z, which is fine water cooler conversation. Or do you want to be the person that's saying, okay, there's a lot of change going on right now. Where are the opportunities for me? What are my skills? What differentiates me? At the end of this period of uncertainty where things become a bit more stable, where do I want to be? right? So you can either be in the bucket of people that are hand-wringing, or you can be in the bucket of people that are really trying to be a homing beacon, as I like to say, for opportunity during those time periods. As I think about moments in which careers are made, it's during periods of uncertainty. So think, this is the moment where I'm going to make my career. It's you, whomever's listening to you. Make that your moment. This is your moment. And look for those opportunities. And what do I mean by that, right? Be sensitive to reading what's happening in the markets. Think about your group. What does it mean for your particular group? Maybe you're in audit. Maybe you're in compliance. You're in legal. You're on the investment banking side. You're in operations. Okay. So what's that going to mean? Are we going to be taking on more responsibility? Are we going to have to consolidate? Like, think about those questions and be engaged in that dialogue, less from a hand-wringing perspective and more from a strategic perspective. You're going to differentiate yourself. That's wonderful. No, I think that's such great advice. And sort of like you said, make your move while everyone else is sort of napping against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) You and me alike, Andrew. We're going to make our move then. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Asahi. Likewise. It's been terrific talking with you. That was Goldman Sachs, Asahi Pompeii. Remember, it's up to you to put our advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. You can also join my weekly Get Hired live show every Friday on the LinkedIn news page. And if you liked this episode, and even if you didn't, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people like you find the show. And of course, we'll continue this conversation next week, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.